Uh, daylight Savings uh, is, is also next Sunday, so spring forward, I believe it is. Uh, and so uh, just make sure, you know, be, be aware of that because service time is changing to 1015, but so is the time in general. So just be on top of that so that there's no um, glitches there, okay? Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1 today. Lord, we praise Your holy name and we thank You for Your holy word. Thank You, Father God, that You have given us Your word and it is perfect. Lord, it is powerful, it's living, it's sharp, it's authoritative, it's inerrant, it's inspired, it's sufficient. And we look to Your word, God, for all that we need today. And I pray, O Lord, and I thank You, God, in faith that the Holy Spirit will meet us here and speak to us by Your word. So may you be exalted, God, and may your word be exalted. You said you would uh, exalt your word above your own name. Heaven and earth would pass away, but your words would never pass away. And so we, we look to your word for guidance, for truth, for light, for life. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've titled today's message, Christianity in the Mundane. Christianity in the mundane, and granted, that doesn't sound very exciting. I realize that, and that's kind of the purpose. Uh, you could subtitle this, Everyday Living for the Glory of Christ. Everyday Living for the Glory of Christ. Christianity in the mundane or the monotonous. You know, I was uh, talking to a guy one time, he was a, a, um, he was a Vietnam vet, and I was telling him about another guy that I knew who was in uh, special forces and, and all that stuff, and he, he looked at me and said, you know, nobody was ever a cook in the military. You know, everybody, they, always, they were doing big things, you know. I mean, everybody was, a, you know, everybody was high-ranking and did all of these crazy feats of valor, and, you know, where were the cooks at, right? And so oftentimes, we can be like that in life. It can be like that in Christianity, you know, um, destined for impact. I, I visited a church in another state years ago and I noticed everybody was wearing t-shirts that said destined for impact. The greeter at the door, man, that, that brother was destined for impact, you know. And uh, I, I like that because it's like, yeah, if you're serving the Lord, He's going to use you and you're going to impact people. And that's a, a wonderful thing. But with that, in that statement, it just sounds like such a, a major thing, right? And so often, folks, Christianity is just not that. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know what I'm talking about. Oftentimes, we begin with this tremendous excitement and expectation, as we should. God has done a miracle in our lives when He has brought us from death to life. And God does an awesome work of restoration in our lives, and He does a new thing, and it's, it's glorious to be a part of and get to see God do that. But you know, so often, that newness... That sweetness, that excitement, that freshness, that intimacy that is so very real in the beginning, it starts, to, it starts to wear off. It starts to fade a little bit. And then the tendency for many people is to altogether lose momentum and even backslide. I see sometimes people that are so fired up when they come to Christ, it worries me. It scares me a little bit because I know that sooner or later it's going to get real. It's going to get really real. And the tendency is for them to disappear. And I've watched that happen so many times. You know, it's that cloud, that, that, that cloud uh, that you're floating on 
And I think that that's a special grace that God gives us. I think when you come from death into life, you, it's tangible. It's real. It's exciting. And I think God carries us as we are like children, but eventually He causes us to walk on our own two feet, and things get hard, and we waver, and we fall, and that's just part of it. Uh, but you know, then we kind of enter into what is um, more commonly the Christian life, and that is just faithfulness in everyday life. Faithfulness for Christ in everyday living, in the, in the mundane, in, in the monotonous. And honestly, I feel like that's what the Bible really commands. That's what the Bible actually talks about. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So that's that's such a big part of it, brotherly love, sisterly love, and we're taught by God to do that. And he says that we urge you that you would do it more and more, that you would increase in this. But then in verse 11, he says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. I think there's just something to that, a quiet, peaceable, godly life working as unto the Lord, loving others, minding our own business, having a proper testimony towards those who are outside the faith. That's, that's Christianity in so many ways. I mean, obviously Christianity is knowing Christ, loving and obeying and serving Christ, but then so often it's just the faithful one foot in front of the other showing up consistently walking with Jesus kind of a life. And it's not always glamorous. It's not always floating on the clouds. It doesn't oftentimes feel like, man, I am just destined for impact in this world. It just doesn't feel that way, right? And so oftentimes God calls us to do things that are just not out in the, the spotlight, faithfully serving behind the scenes. It can be menial so often, but God is glorified and Jesus is pleased and people are blessed by that. And that's so often what it is to be, you know, 1 Timothy chapter 2 same thing, verse 20 says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Then this, he says, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So we're to be praying for our leaders, but you know, we're to be ourselves living a very quiet and peaceable and godly life, full of reverence, fear of the Lord, right? And so that, I think, really describes what the Christian life is to be so often. You know, Christianity is oftentimes, it's, it's on the valley floor, you know. Like we love those, those mountaintop times, don't we? I mean, when there's just that, that sweetness walking with the Lord and things are as they ought to be and you feel great and that's all good, but you know that doesn't last. There, there is going back down the mountain and then there is... The, the drudgery of just walking through the valley and God is there and He's in that place. And that's when God is growing us. That's when He is testing our faith. That is when He's demonstrating His faithfulness to us. And so often that is where Christianity is lived out. You know, day-to-day, -day, monotonous, mundane in the valley floor. And so that's really what we're going to see in our text today. Uh, what's amazing is Paul started in the first couple chapters with some of the most dense and richest theological, Christological content 
in the whole New Testament. I mean, we talked so much about Christ and who He is as the image of the invisible God and how He alone is sufficient for life and godliness and all of these other false religions did not measure up because Christ was all and in all. But then Paul takes that and brings it to an intensely practical place. You know, this is not something that belongs purely in academia or in the schools. It, it belongs in the, in the everyday life of the Christian. These things should connect. These deep truths about Christ connect to our daily living. And that's exactly what Paul is now going to do. And he's going to begin to talk about how these things affect the family unit, how they affect us in the workplace, how they affect us in our sphere of influence, uh, our testimony, our reputation in the community and an unbelieving world, how this affects us in our personal devotion life. We're not going to look at all of that today, but that's really the context now of where we're at in the book of Colossians. Remember, we talked about the new man or the new woman in Christ. Because of who Christ is and what He has done and we are in Him, we are made brand new. And that looks like something, you know, the new man, the new woman in the home, in the workplace, in the community, in our, our walk with Jesus. And so that's what Paul is going to begin to lay out for us in this text that we are approaching today. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? And so that's why I have titled this, it's, it's just everyday living for the glory of Christ. That's what it is, just everyday living. And so today we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at in the home, the roles that God has, has given, and how we're to honor Christ in that, and then what we'll, we'll call in the workplace, and I'll, I'll explain that. And so we're going to be talking about things like submissiveness, uh, wives submitting to their husbands, husbands loving their wives like Christ loved the church, obedience uh, for the children, how the parents are to, how to conduct themselves in their parenting, uh, the worker in the workplace, business owners, all of that. And, you know, I'm not an expert in all of these things, okay? And I know that might surprise some of you. I'm a pastor, and so I think some people think that means that, like, I got it down. I've, you know, I've somehow probably already written books on these things, but simply not. I mean, I am, I'm in it, quite frankly, you know. I'm learning. We're all learning together. But some of these things are things that I've thought an awful lot about over the years, and I've experienced, and I've watched other people struggle faithfully through, and I've learned a lot. And so there's a lot of things that, that are on my heart and things I would like to share about some of these things, particularly the roles between the husband and the wife, you know, the, the submissiveness of the wife to the husband and the, the love of the husband for the wife. So I'll probably spend a good bit of time dealing with that, and then I'm going to just really gloss over the the, the children, you know, their conduct to the parents because, like, they listen anyways, right? And then um, I'll probably spend, uh, you know, a good bit of time dealing with kind of the employer-employee relationship. And uh, it's Communion Sunday, and so I'm going to try my best to work through these things uh, in an appropriate amount of time so that we can get to the Lord's table and not have to rush that. So if I have to cut it a little short, I will, so don't panic. If it looks like I'm, you know, this is going to go way long, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be aware of the time and, and cut it at the proper place. And let me just say also that this really does apply to a lot of people who may not think it applies to them. You know, if you are married, then obviously you're, you're right in the throes of it. But if you desire to be married, if you're dating, if you expect that you will be married, these things really apply. These are things that you 
You really need to understand on the front end. It will make all the difference as you enter in. And so as Paul gets into the specifics of these roles, I realize it's not going to hit every single person in the room. And so, but it's God's word and it's always, it's always a blessing and it's always relevant. So with that, let's go ahead and get into our text. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. And first, Paul starts by addressing the wives. So this is glorifying Christ in the home. Glorifying Christ in the home. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Just one little phrase there. And this thing can cause such a firestorm in the culture that we live in. And this word submit, it's hupotasso, and it means to arrange under. It's, it's a combination of those two words. And, and truly it is under God's arrangement is the idea. And so we, are, we have arranged ourselves under the authority and the leadership of God. And then God has created arrangements in the, in the home, in the church. And so this idea of submissiveness, it's a very difficult thing to talk about. You know, let me just go ahead and can I just put that out there? I know that this is not an easy thing, not an easy thing to hear or talk about so often. So let me just go ahead and, and put that out there so we can just kind of acknowledge the obvious. Um, and it is a very despised thing in, in our culture, the idea of, of submissiveness, just totally despised. And, you know, I think sometimes in other cultures, what submissiveness actually is, is in other cultures is what people think we mean when we say submissiveness, Christian submissiveness, and, and it's not. It's not. And I'll, I'll kind of expand a little more on that. Let me tell you what I, what I don't mean by to submit. That does not in any way mean it's not demeaning. You know, the woman is not demeaned. It's not degrading. Never to be. It is never to imply uh, inferiority ever. It does not mean incapability as though a woman is not capable. It does not mean incompetence. It does not mean that a woman has no wisdom or insight to offer, that she has no value or no voice. That is not what this means. So let's just say that right out the gate, okay? Uh, men and women, they are equal. They, were, they are equal. They are created in the image of God. They have intrinsic value and worth for that reason. And so it's never a matter of degrading or, or demeaning. You know, I, I know someone who was, who was over in, in the Middle East years ago, and uh, they were watching this family, and the guys and the sons had like, you know, white t-shirts on. I mean, it was blazing hot out there, and, and uh, the wife had this full black uh, garb on. I mean, her face, head, everything, gloves, and a, like a like some sort of a metal mask thing over her face. And they, were, they had a beverage and she couldn't drink the beverage. She was trying to get the straw like up underneath this mask thing. And she finally just kind of like put it down and like sat back and gave up. And I thought that breaks your heart, that kind of treatment. And, uh, and I just got to tell you that Christianity has, has radically changed that kind of treatment around the world in so many ways. And uh, that should never be. That, that is heinous. It is grievous. And that's not what we're talking about here. 
Submission is greatly abused. Greatly abused. You have uh, men that are unloving, domineering, aggressive, or just passive altogether. And so it's, it's understandable why people hear this idea of submissiveness and they, they assume all of that. And of course, it would create some kind of anger or resentment or apprehensiveness. And so just to make very clear, that's not what we're talking about here. And biblical submission, I must also say, is not a universal concept. And what I mean by that is there is a time not to submit. There is a time when it is not fitting in the Lord to submit. And if uh, just in the context of husbands and wives, if, if the wife is, is being um, abused physically, mentally, verbally, um, you know, if the husband is just totally destroying himself and destroying the home and the kids, uh, it is not okay for the wife to have to subject herself to that and be destroyed because of it. You understand? And so it's as is fitting in the Lord. That, that, that's the idea. You know, it's, it's pleasing to God, but there's a time when it's not. There's a time when submissiveness is not pleasing to God, when it is detrimental to the person who, who is putting themselves in a position of, of submission, right? Agreed? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, this can be a very complex issue and vary in application depending on circumstances. It's not the same for everybody. You know, there are, there are times when this is just far more difficult for, for certain couples, individuals, just depending on the dynamic and, and the character and the conduct of the husband, uh, so on and so forth. And so I don't mean to make it sound like this is such an easy thing or a simple thing, uh, because it's, it's very, it can be very complex and confusing. And it, can, it can vary from relationship to relationship depending upon really the, the godliness and the, the, the faithfulness and the, the character of the husband, right? And so uh, I just want to put that out there. I don't want to treat it like this is a one-size-fits-all and like it's just that simple because it's really not. But the reality is, is that God has called us all to be a people who submit on some level. I've said this before. In the world that we live in, there's just no escaping it. We all have to submit ourselves to some type of authority. And as I've said many times before, even people at the top, they have to submit to somebody some way. And so this is a lesson that, that we all need to learn in life. And this is something that is so incredibly difficult. Almost nobody can really submit easily to authority or to leadership or to instruction or correction. And I know this as a pastor. I hate confrontation. It is not in my nature. I don't enjoy having to have hard conversations with people. And that's probably a good thing. If I did, that would be a problem, right? But uh, one thing I almost know is that anytime I'm going to have a difficult conversation with somebody, they're going to get offended. Uh, right out the gate. They're not going to understand. They're going to get upset. They may not show it outwardly. Um, sometimes people can hold that in, but generally it's in our nature. We don't like that, right? And so anytime somebody tries to offer some kind of guidance or direction, I think what is natural in us is to, to not like that and to, to push back against that. But frankly, it's something that we all have to deal with in the world that we live if we want to have a, a balanced, healthy 
uh, functional society and church and home. It's just the way that it is. And that's the way that God has designed it. And you know, I have to just say, men are called to submit in many different ways, and they do a terrible job oftentimes. And then, they, then they're like, woman, submit. And then they don't submit. And the wife sees that and, and is like, what's up with that? You know, you want me to submit to you, but you don't submit to your boss. You don't submit to the, the leadership in the church. You don't submit in whatever role that you are in. And so I don't want, we, we got to, you know, take a real look at this. You know, how do we do in this area? And I'm not, not just women, but men too. And so, um, we're all called to submit to God, first and foremost. We are all called to submit to God, and that is just point blank. God is God. He is in the heavens. He's going to do His will. Nothing can stay His hand. He has called us to repent and to trust Christ and to trust Him and to walk with Him in obedience, and either we're going to submit or we're not. But we're called to submit to God. Amen? called to submit to God. And furthermore, God has instituted roles and structure in the home. And I, I will also say in the church, but really what we're talking about here is, is in the home. God has done that. God has instituted this idea of headship. Headship. And that's what we're talking about. And the Bible does deal with this. Genesis 2.18, it says, uh, well, let me just start here. So Genesis 2.18 uh, the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So I, I think we need to start here when we, before we even get into really the, the idea of headship. First, we have to understand the roles between the man and the woman according to God biblically. And first and foremost, the Bible says that God called the woman. The woman came from man. She would be a helper comparable to him. The two would become one flesh. The two would become one flesh. And that is such a glorious thing. Now, first let me say this word helper here. He said, God said, I'll make a helper comparable to him. What that does not mean is personal assistant. Right? Can I get an amen? I mean, God did not call women to be personal assistants. That's not the idea of the word helper. God looked at Adam and said, man, this guy needs help. He's in big trouble, you know. And so he is going to make a, an essential counterpart. That's the word. One who would complete Adam. Adam was not a whole man. And God would make one that would complete him. And that, that's the idea. We men, we need help. We're in trouble. And God blesses us and gives us a woman who is uniquely suited to complete us. Because so often you'll notice that God brings together people that are so very different. They have very different strengths and weaknesses. And they come together and they make one person. And they make one flesh. And you know... I was going to make a joke, but I won't. And so, helper comparable. This essential counterpart. Now, I remember early on as a Christian, I was at this church, and when I first started going there, the pastor's wife was, was dying of ovarian cancer. And they, they had a marriage that was, I mean, just so everybody knew. That, that was like the model marriage. And this man loved his wife, and his wife loved him dearly. Um, and then she died. And I watched him and what that did to him and, and how he suffered and struggled for a long time, a long time, and especially there in the beginning. And I remember he was, he, he was gone for a little while. He came back. He was leading a men's Saturday morning men's study. He's teaching. 
that's a really, you know, just masculine, manly man type of a guy. And he just broke down and started crying like a baby. And all he could say is, I'm a half a man. I'm a half a man. And uh, that, that was where he was at. He lost his wife and he realized he was not complete. And so God, that's the idea. That, that is the helper comparable to him. That is the essential counterpart. That is two coming together and becoming one flesh. And so you have to start there. You have to start there. And also, the Holy Spirit is called the helper, right? And God would never degrade or demean his, the Spirit, right? In, within the, the Trinity, you, we look at the unity, the love that exists there. God would not do that. So that is not the idea when it is said of the woman that she is the helper. All right? You tracking with me? We're still, still together on this? Okay. So regarding the idea of headship, having said that, there still has to be structure, there still has to be order, there still has to be a head. Otherwise you have two heads and one flesh, and that, that's just all kinds of bad, right? And so God says in 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So we're told here man is the head of the woman in the home. And this is covering, it's protection, provision, support. And that's the idea. The man, is to, the man is to be a protector, you know. He's to be a provider. He's to cover his wife, support his wife. Christ is the head of man, it says. So man has to answer to somebody. And man answers to Christ and is subject to Christ. But then it says God is the head of Christ. Subject to, to God is Christ Himself. And again, God would never degrade His own Son, right? And so if Christ is subject to God, if God is the head of His Son, then we know that this is not talking about some kind of inferiority or demeaning or degrading type of a, a relationship here. This is simply the way that God has set it up. God is honored through biblical submission, through, through roles, through through, uh, through headship. And folks, let me just say, this is, the, this is the highest motivation for anything that we do. We can come up with all kinds of good reasons, and I'm going to talk a little bit about why, why submissiveness is, is such an important thing, but ultimately it glorifies God. Because, and I'll get more into how that does, but that's the highest motivation for anything that we do. Right? Because it honors Christ. Because it brings glory to God, even in the difficult things, even in the challenging things that we may not even like or agree with, but it, it honors Christ, so there's, there it is. There's the reason that we do what we do. But this reflects God's nature, biblical submission, headship in the home. This reflects God's nature in the Trinity, as I've already mentioned. The Son is subject to the Father, and He, he has said, I only do those things that are pleasing to the Father. You know, we see that demonstrated in, in, in how Christ served the Father. And then again, I mentioned the Holy Spirit. The, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always came to testify of the Son. And so we see this. Within the Trinity, they're never self-seeking. Each member of the Trinity is kind of pointing to the other member of the Trinity. You ever notice that? That's pretty amazing. And so that's kind of the idea here. So submissiveness in the home, it, it reflects the nature of God. And it reflects Christ, 
And it is flat out obedience to the Father. It's obedience to God's commands and it glorifies Him. But I would add to that that it, it creates health and stability. When you have two people com- competing, well, I mean, it's simple, like in dancing. I can't dance, so I don't know what I'm talking about, but if you've got two people that are dancing, you know, someone's got to lead. Someone's got to lead, someone's got to follow, otherwise there's problems, right? And we understand that on a very simple, simple level. And that's the way it is to be in the home. You can't have two people trying to lead uh, and, and competing. At, at some point, there has to be one who is allowed to lead, and that's the idea. That's the idea. You, you are, when you submit to your husband's women, you are allowing your husband to lead. Because you don't have to. You don't have to allow him to lead at all. You can, you can say no, you can fight against that, or, or flat out reject it, and he can't make you. You understand? And that, that's just the way that it is. And it's, it's allowing someone to lead. And that's what leadership is. If someone's not following you, I'm sorry, you're not a leader. And because you can control somebody or force somebody or intimidate or manipulate somebody, that's not leadership. You know, that's not leadership. And so leadership is having someone who follows you. And that, that's really what it is. Allowing the husband to step into the role of headship in the home and to hear from God and to lead the family as such. And, you know, I, I, I praise God. I know this personally because my wife really allows me to lead as the husband, you know. And I, I praise God that God has given me a godly woman and that she makes my job quite easy. We're not having to compete over who is the head in the home. She is, in fact, joyful for me to lead. And I think it's an attractive thing. I'll just say, I think it's an attractive thing for women when they have a man they know loves God, loves them, is competent to lead and can lead, right? The woman feels like she's got to push the guy out of the way and step in front to get it done because it ain't going to get done. I don't think that's attractive to women, you know, I'm just saying. And so I think we all know that that's the way that it, is, it should be and that it's a healthy thing. It fosters health in the home when things are as they ought to be. God honors and blesses that. He really does. I've watched this. and I've told this story before, and so some of you have probably heard this, but I watched one guy in particular uh, through the first several years of my Christian walk. I got to see him in the workplace, see him in his home, and uh, observe his life, and it really has impacted me forever. And, you know, he was my employer. He owned a, a business, but uh, years earlier, he had a, a partnership. He had a business. He had a partnership, 50-50. And he was a Christian. They both were. And he had this conviction that there can't be two heads in this company. Someone had to be the head. And so he, he approached the other guy and said, hey, I, I, you know, he's been walking with the Lord longer, he's older, he's more experienced, and so he would like to, to be the one to, to essentially have 1% more of the company and lead it. And the younger guy was like, you're out of your mind. No way. And so the guy said, okay. So he forfeited a percentage of the company over to this younger guy so that he could really honor this principle of headship in his company. And so he, the older, more mature, more experienced guy, humbled himself truly and, and submitted to this younger guy because he was gripped by this conviction of biblical headship. Now, that, to me, is very impressive. And, you know, things, that came back to bite him a little bit. You know, at, it wasn't long after that that the guy that was running that company, his wife, left for another guy, left him with three kids, and then the, the bank and the other business owner began to be concerned that somehow 
if there was a divorce, that this wife could somehow get a portion of the company. So they got together and figured out a way to force this guy out of the company. And so he had to go. And so because he, he forfeited that percentage over, he got the boot in the long run. I mean, you think about that. That's, that is incredible. But he didn't sue. He didn't fight. He just started over, launched out. God blessed him in amazing ways and uh, gave him a new business. And that other business went under. It shut down. I won't get into that, but um, God was even able to restore that relationship. It was amazing. But, you know, I've watched this in action, and I've watched that guy in his own home. And I'll, I'll you know, talk more about that. I guess, I guess the point I would want to make here is that I think mutual submission is the highest goal. I think that the husband and the wife being on the same page is what you always want. Um, pulling the trump card, you know, I'm the man and I'm going to lead and this is the way we're going to go. I mean, I feel like that's a losing situation. Um, it, it really is important that the husband and wife as one flesh hear from the Lord and move together, move forward together. Amen? I think that, that is what you want to aim for. And I, again, from this same guy, I watched him in his, his, his uh, marriage. You know, he remarried and had a, a godly wife and Years later, I remember he wanted a, a motorcycle and his, scared his wife to death. And she was not okay with it. She was not comfortable with it. So he didn't get the motorcycle. And he, he would pray and he would ask sometime later. And I think over the course of a couple of years, she kind of warmed up to the idea and he got the motorcycle and, you know, and, it, and he didn't lose his wife in the process. See, that's the thing. Oftentimes, you, people, they can do what they want to do. You know, I have a board of directors here that I submit to. And, and there are times when maybe I could really push it and get what I want, but then I've lost my, my elders. I've lost their confidence. I've lost their trust. And so it's not worth it, right? It's not worth cashing in something that's so much more important. I saw the guy do the same thing later with guns, you know. He wanted, wanted a gun, and that's freaked his wife out. And same thing. And I said, that is so awesome, you know. That's the way it ought to be. Mutual submission, that's the highest goal. Mutual respect and trust. Moving forward together. Moving forward together. However, there may come a time when that simply can't be. You know, there, there's just a disagreement. And they just have to agree to disagree, but something has to happen. You know, a move has to be made. And so the, the man is the one who is burdened with the responsibility and, that, and that's, when, that's when submission counts the most, you know. It counts when, when you don't like it, when you don't agree with it, right? And so uh, there comes a time when that might actually happen, and then it, the man is burdened with the responsibility. And that's, and that's the heavy part for the man. If you're going to do that, if you're going to go there, if you're going to, to lead like that, you better be very sure that you are hearing from God and that you are moving in the right way. Because if you blow it, it's on you. It's on you. And that's the way the Bible reflects it. With what happened with Adam and Eve, uh, Adam was, we believe Adam was present there when Eve was having this conversation with the serpent. Adam had received the command not to eat from this tree. Eve didn't even exist yet when that command was given. Now here's Eve and the serpent. It appears that Adam is present, but what, what, what did he do? He did nothing. He just stood by idly. Passivity. That's what men do. Men tend towards that. 
And uh, he, he just kind of stepped back and she stepped forward. This happened. But who, who was blamed in the New Testament? Adam. It was the sin of Adam. Why? Because he was the man. He was supposed to be the covering, the leader, the protector, the support. He was the one that had received the command. Uh, and he was the one that was pinned with the blame as it should be. And so just recognize that it is challenging. It's a challenging thing to have to be the leader, to have to be burdened with that responsibility. And so I think at the end of the day, what we're talking about here ultimately is respect. We're talking about respect. And that is so very important to men. Men want to need to feel respected, right? Trusted. Like they have the ability, the freedom to lead, to hear from God and to lead their family. I believe that God has put that in the heart of man and that is by God's design and that, that creates a healthy home. Nothing propels a man forward like the respect of his wife. Nothing propels a man forward like the respect of his wife. And that's, that's, a, that's a true statement. But here's the thing. Men, you need to be worthy of respect. Just because you're the man and just because God has set this up as it is, you have to be worthy of respect. You can't just cop out and do what you want to do and act how you want to act and be a little boy and then expect your wife to, to submit to you and, and treat you like a man, right? And so, men, this is an awesome responsibility and weight that we carry. we got to man up. If you want your wife to respect you and, and trust you and follow you, then you need to be a man worthy. We need to be men that are worthy of that, that type of respect and trust. You with me, men? That was the most sissified thing I have ever heard in my life. Are you with me, men? All right. All right. And a word to the women... Be careful, if you are not married, be careful who you choose. Be careful who you choose. There are all kinds of filters that, you know, we, we look at, we filter things through, you know, when it comes to a person that we may want to marry, this is crucial. Is it a man that is worthy of your respect and your trust? Is he a man of God? Is he going to follow God and lead you in the paths of righteousness and love you well? And we're going to talk about that that next, but that is crucial. Women, you got to. You got to look to that. Get out now if you don't think that that's the way that it's going to be. You know, do not commit yourself because once you do, it's too late. You're married. You're in there. And so you want to marry a man that, that you look up to. You're like, that's a guy that I can follow right there. That's a guy that can lead my family, lead my children, right? Amen? That's the way it's got to be. All right, so now the husbands. Now the husbands. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Respect is so very important to the man, but love, feeling loved, is crucial for the woman. The woman must be loved. Men really, really, you know, are empowered by respect, but women are by love, by being cared for, feeling that love. Paul says, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. This doesn't like mean resentful. As we typically understand bitterness, it means harsh, harshness. Do not be harsh. Love your wives and do not treat them harshly. Now, this is really two, two extreme ends of a spectrum. You've got harsh 
and you've got loving, right? It ought to be obvious that we don't treat our wives harshly, but for some, for many, unfortunately, it is not. There's no place for that. We are not to be harsh towards our wives. We are to be gentle. We're to be gracious. We're to be tender, loving, kind, compassionate, but never harsh. Neither is it okay to be neutral. Some guys think, well, I'm not harsh, and that's enough. They're not harsh, but they're not necessarily communicating love either. See, that's not love either. That's not loving. I've heard it said, you know, a wife said to her husband, you never tell me you love me. And he said, I told you I loved you on the day we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) You know, a lot of guys act like that. A lot of guys act like that. And that that is a shame. There's no place for that. Husbands, do not treat your wives harshly. Love them. Love them. And don't be neutral. And that, that, I think, probably more times than not is what it is. Guys just are, get lazy. They get lazy. They don't make the effort. They don't do what it takes to really demonstrate love towards their wives. But men, we are called to love with intentionality. We are to be deliberate about it. We are trying to build up our wives. You know, men are builders by nature. They love to fix things, build things, you know, break things too, but build things, except when it comes to our wives. So often men don't want to build their wives up. You know, they got all these other little projects and career and all these other things that they love to give themselves to, but the one area that matters the most, they are not building where it really counts. And that's the kind of love that we're talking about here. A building up kind of love. This word love, it's, and you've probably heard this, the word agape, And there are different types of love that are mentioned in the Bible, in the New Testament. This is a a particular type of love. It's a love that is uh, discriminating affection, which involves choice and selection. That rhymes. I I realize that. And so don't be distracted by that. But what the idea is, is it's it's a love that um, that is choosing or it's intentional. Um basically like this. It's a love that forgoes one's own comfort and convenience for the good of the other. It's not just some sentimentalism. It's not just some makes me feel good, makes me feel warm. It's a love that actually acts. It's a love that is intentional. It's a love that chooses to, to care for and to give to and to sacrifice for the other. You, you tracking with me? Does it make sense? That's the kind of love. That's the kind of love. It's a very high love. It's a very high standard. And so this type of love is spelled out in Ephesians chapter 5. And so I want to look at that. You can turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. All right, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So the quality of love that the man is to have for his wife is a Christ-like love. I mean, this, this standard is insane. It's like, you know, submissiveness. You think that's hard. Try loving someone like Christ loved the church. 
to the death. I mean, he died for his church. I don't mean to belittle the the submissive thing. I I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. But I mean, seriously, this kind of love, this is the kind of love that men are called to love their wives with. Now, I don't think that we'll ever meet this standard. But this is the goal. This is the aim. There's, and there, we can't cop out. We can't say, well, I can't do it, therefore I'm not even going to try. It doesn't work that way. But this is a supreme type of love, the love that Christ has for His church. This, this is a, a sacrificial love. It's a love that came at a cost. It cost Jesus greatly. It cost His life. He suffered to the death. He bore the sins of the, of, of the saints, those who would, would trust Him on Himself there on the cross. I mean, that is serious love, folks. That is serious, serious love. And it's a love that brought benefit. It's a love that brought life. It was a love that brought salvation. It was a love that brought forgiveness. And innumerable blessings, spiritual blessings in the heavenlies and, and earthly blessings on top of that. That kind of love. It's a love that came at a cost. It was a love that benefited other people. It's a love that made other people better, quite frankly. It's a love that made other people better. You know, does, does your love, men, make your wife better? Your love for her, is she better because of you? I've heard it said you can tell a lot by looking at a, at a, at a woman. You know, she's like a rose. She's like a flower, you know. Is she... Is she you know, wilting because her husband is abusive and domineering and neglectful? Or is she, is she glowing? Is she glowing because her wife serves her and loves her and invests in her and makes sure that she has what she needs to be strong, to be solid, to be happy and healthy? Mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, spiritually, in every aspect. Men, are you loving your wives like that? Are you making sure that she has what she needs for herself so that she can prosper in in those ways? That's the kind of love that we're talking about here. Verse 28, he says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves uh, loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So this is a do unto others as you would have them do unto you type of a love. You know, love your wives like you love your own bodies, like you love yourself. It says no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. You know, we love ourselves. There's no question about that. We love ourselves a lot. We are very attentive to our own needs and our preferences. I mean, we're, you know, men, we are very considerate. We're very considerate. We're self, very considerate of our own needs and wants, Right? Considerateness is such a crucial quality, and especially considerateness towards your wives. Amen? Looking out for the best of your wife, considering her needs, her preferences, her desires, the things that she likes. That's so very important. It's a love that cherishes and nourishes the other, just as Christ does the church. The love of Christ uh, cherishes and nourishes us. And that's the kind of love that a husband ought to have towards his wife. Verse 30, it says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This is a love that truly glorifies Christ because it reflects His love for the church. That's amazing, folks. Paul is saying here that the, the, the marriage relationship, it's, it reflects a mystery, and that is the, the love that Christ has for His church. That's what the that's what the marriage is a picture of. That is heavy. That is, that is amazing. And that brings glory to Christ. When the wife submits to the husband and the husband loves his wife like that, it is a picture of Christ in the church. You know, is our love a cherishing, nourishing, self-sacrificial love that is considerate of the wife and that is a building up kind of love? You know, Peter, 1 Peter gives us a little bit of additional insight on this. Um, and 1 Peter, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read this, chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, with your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So he says to the husbands that they're to honor their wives as the weaker vessel. Now, this does not mean, as I've already said, inferiority or anything like that. It, it means like delicate, fragile. It's kind of like this. Husbands, your, your wives are fine china. They are not Tupperware. <laughs> they are not Tupperware. You know, I mean, men, we're bad about Tupperware. I mean, if it leaves the house, odds are it ain't coming back. <laughs> you know, it just gets beat up, thrown around. That is not. No, women are, they are precious. They are delicate. They are soft. They are, we don't, you know, chum around and punch them in the shoulder and pile around. I mean, you don't do that, right? You treat them as delicate. And that's the idea, okay? And so giving honor as the weaker vessel, dwell with understanding. Now, this is, this is really interesting. This dwell with them with understanding, it is actually, um, it's a term like uh, to investigate, and it, it means to study. So you're to study your wife like an investigator, and you're to, to really try to understand everything about them. What do they like? You know, what, what gets them excited? What are the things that that they, they love to talk about, you know, like oftentimes women will tell you, I think, you know, um, things that they, they would like to have, you know, and men, you need to be listening to that. That's one of the things I really try to do. I try to keep a running list of things that I can throughout the, you know, throughout, you know, months and throughout the year, just kind of buy special little things because I know that's something that she said she wanted and she probably doesn't even remember having told me that. And that kind of stuff shows that you care, that you're listening, and that you wanted to do something special just because. And so that's studying your wife. And also, I guess, I hate to even say this because I, you know, don't be so annoying, you know. Don't annoy, and I am so annoying. I annoy my wife, you know. And I mean, sometimes it's hard because, man, we like to tease, I know. And we like to pick on probably our wives more than we should and give them a hard time. But, uh, you know, we're not, supposed, we're not supposed to do that. You know, what does your wife love? What annoys her? Do the stuff she loves. Don't do the stuff that annoys her. It will go good for us, right? And so that's the, the dwelling with understanding. And then it says that they are heirs together of the grace of life. 
We are both. We are sons and daughters of God. And we are on level footing there. You know, the ground is level there. You know, you're a son of God. Your wife is a daughter of God. And there's to be that respect. It says that your prayers may not be hindered. That's amazing. Because what it's essentially saying is, listen, guy, this is, this is a, a daughter of God. And if you treat her, if you treat her wrong, God's not going to hear your prayers. God's not going to hear that. You know, I, I heard a pastor talking about this the other day. In fact, it was pretty interesting. He said, you know, imagine he was talking to a guy that, that said that he was living with another, another young lady, both claiming to be Christians, out of wedlock, sleeping together. And he said, you know, imagine, he's like, if you were sleeping with my daughter out of wedlock, would you have the nerve to come to me and ask me for a favor? I mean, that's an obvious answer. Absolutely not. Why would we do that to God? Why are you going to treat God's daughter like that harshly, neglect her, be aggressive or abusive, and then think somehow that God's just going to bless you or do you a favor, right? It doesn't work that way. And so we are heirs together of the grace of life. That is God's daughter, and we have to treat her that way so that our prayers will not be hindered. That's an interesting verse there, guys. Mark it down. It says your prayers will be hindered. Your prayer will not be heard. And so we have to take very seriously this, this, uh, this treatment, this love. And we'll close here. We're getting ready to go into communion. But let me just close with one thought. There is a very vicious cycle that can happen when the husband does not feel like he's respected and the wife doesn't feel like she's loved. And the kind of behaviors that, that kind of manifest in that place only get worse. So the more the husband feels like he's not respected, the more he becomes you know, unloving towards his wife. He becomes you know, angry or resentful or whatever. And then the more the wife senses that and feels as though her husband does not love her, she feels like she can't trust him and that she can't follow him and that all the more she pushes back and then it gets worse and worse and worse. Somebody has to break the cycle. Uh, it would be great if both parties could acknowledge this and repent and turn and begin to move forward together, but so often it's not going to happen that way. Somebody has to make the decision that they're going to love. Somebody has to make the decision that they're going to follow. And so that, that is something that I heard years ago, and that really stuck with me. And so often one party says, I'm not going to because the other, and that just goes around and around. And so we need the grace of God. Amen? We need the grace of God in this. And I think this is a great way to transition to the table, which is what we're going to do now. It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can even do this. You know, to, to have uh, you know, wives that are going to submit their, to their husbands, to have husbands that are going to love their wives as Christ loved the church, it's because of the gospel. Because it's not in our nature. It's not in our nature to do these things. But Jesus Christ, He came to give us a new nature. See, we were dead in our trespass. We were dead in our sin. We were dead in our rebelliousness. And we were separated from a holy God. 
And there was no life, there was no blessing, there was no health on any level in that situation. But Jesus Christ came and He died in our place. You know, our sin, our sin that caused us to be separated from God was paid for at the cross when the innocent one, the holy and spotless Lamb of God, died in our place. Then that sin was washed away, it was removed. And the righteousness of Christ, the goodness of Christ, the good works of Christ, the perfection of Christ was gifted to us because we are in Christ. And so we have been made new, born again, restored to the Father. And because of that, we now have by the Holy Spirit the ability to love our wives, men. And women, we have the ability to submit to your husbands. We have the ability to honor Christ in all that we do. We have the ability to walk in power, to walk in the newness of life because we have been made new by the finished work of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it reflects that when we do those things, as I've already said. And you know what? When we fall short, because we do fall short, don't we? When we fall short in these areas, when we fail, when we fail to live up to the standard that God has has given us, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Jesus' body was broken and His blood was poured out to save us from the wrath of Almighty God, to make us brand new creations in Christ, to give us the power to live godly lives, to live with, with the power of Christ working in us and through us so that our relationships can be what God says they ought to be, so that they can glorify Him. But when we fall short, when we fail, we know that if we are faithful and just to confess our sins, if we, excuse me, if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.